0: You're listening to Lozano Smith's Podcast, where we discuss important changes in the law and legal decisions
1: that affect public agencies. Welcome, and thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Devin Lincoln, and I'm an attorney in Lozano Smith's Monterey office. Our topic today is is new legislation in California that, if adopted, could radically alter the landscape for some charter schools or for charter schools in general. A few months ago, I spoke with Ed Sklar and Claudia Weaver, my colleagues, about why some feel that there are too many charter schools in the state. So today, we're going to zero in on the legislative proposals that are coming out of that conversation. So first, I'm happy to welcome back Ed Sklar. As listeners to the prior podcast know, Ed is one of the two chairs of our charter schools practice group, and one of the most experienced attorneys in this area of law in the state. Hi Ed.
0: Hi Devin. Good to be back here and uh, continuing this conversation.
1: Great. Next, I'd like to welcome to the podcast the other chair of our charter school's practice group, senior counsel Aaron Hamer. Aaron, can you introduce yourself?
2: Hi Devin. I am an attorney in the Sacramento office of Lozano Smith. I work primarily in the charter school practice group and labor and employment practice group and Relative to today's conversation, I advise school districts in a number of areas of charter law, including most recently the potential impacts of this pending legislation we're talking about that could rewrite the rules for charter schools. Great. Okay.
1: So as I mentioned, our prior podcast on charter school issues focused on the contemporary conversation about whether there are too many charters in the state. So for the most part today, we're going to focus on each of these proposed bills, what they do, and what it would mean if they were enacted. We're not going to try to make predictions about whether or not they'll be enacted. Um, but I thought I'd start with an article I saw in EdCal, the newsletter of, of AXA, the Association of Char- California School Administrators. Um, and the article states that according to a statewide survey released by the Public Policy Institute of California. Californians are just about evenly split, actually, on how, much, how they feel about charter schools right now. 49% of adults apparently favor charter schools and 46% are opposed. And that, that struck me as really interesting since there are more charter schools per capita here in California than anywhere else in the, in the country. Interestingly, though, the opposition to charters was highest in Los Angeles, which apparently had 71% of surveyed respondents being opposed to charters. And charters are so prevalent there, and yet became an issue, and also became an issue in the teacher strike this year. So that tells me, anyway, that charters are under pressure in a way that I don't think they've been in the past twenty years. And political support for limiting their growth has got to be out there. So I guess I'm going to start by asking you guys, um, what do you think about the landscape for charters right now? Have we entered a new era for charter schools in California? Um, Ed, you want to go first?
0: Yeah, I think this is a great promotion for our prior charter, uh, prior podcast on charter schools that we did about a month ago. How many charters are too many charters? And this is a where we talked about the 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 sea shift in regard to the uh, uh, approach and the debate going on in regard to charter schools in California, and now we're seeing it go one step further where we're actually seeing legislation being enacted I think at the time we did the original podcast there was discussion about the transparency laws that were going into effect for charter and schools. we talked
1: about some of these bills briefly but not in the depth that we're going to today yeah
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. and the only law that had passed at that point was the transparency law for charters right. which was a rather big deal and now we're seeing uh, charter legislation that is actually presenting I'll uh, I don't think I'm over-exaggerating, an existential threat to certain charter schools in California. And so we're seeing this full leap forward in regard to a legislative agenda that I would not have believed a year ago. I go into a lot of school districts and speak at board meetings and present at board meetings in regard to charter school issues in large districts that have a large union presence, particularly teacher union presence, and I would see... People get up to the podium during public comment and say things like, there's going to be a ban on charter schools in California. And when they they would say this a year ago, two years ago, four years ago, and I would kind of snicker to myself smugly, that's never going to happen in California. And now that very legislation is, or those pieces of legislation are being proposed right now. So it is uh, uh, a ground shift in regard to what is going on out there.
1: Yeah, OK. I, I, those are interesting thoughts, Ed. Um, Aaron, what do you think? New era? Yeah, I think so, Devin, uh, or the start of one, at least. Uh,
2: so California charter school law at this point is almost 27 years old. Um, but the issue is that the law has really changed very little since it was passed, at the same time as charter school enrollment has grown exponentially, uh, since 1992 at least. And so now we're really seeing the pendulum swing in the other direction, in part uh, in response to this perceived impact on traditional public schools. Um, So, Devin, you mentioned the LAUSD teachers strike and in that strike and the Oakland Unified strikes this year. Uh, These issues of charter schools were central. And I think in both of these strikes, there is this concept of, of sustainability of traditional public schools, and that was front and center. And there's really this perceived threat um, to traditional public education, which I think is is causing the pendulum to swing in the direction it is. So I do think there are multiple indicators that we may be entering a new era for charter schools in California.
1: OK, with that, um, let's jump into talking about these bills. Uh, Aaron, I'm going to start out by asking you to talk about AB 1505, which I understand, if enacted, would radically change the rules around the approval of charter schools. So, can you talk first about what the law currently provides? And then, second, how this new bill would change that? Sure.
2: So, of the bills we'll be discussing today, AB 1505 may represent the most wholesale. Changes based on what's currently in the Charter Schools Act, and really it fundamentally alters the petitioning process as we know it for charter schools. Under the current law, charter petition approval is the default, and a school district must approve a charter petition unless it makes findings of fact to support a different decision. AB 1505 really flips that concept on its head. So the proposed legislation, among other things, would place the charter granting authority squarely in the hands of authorizing school districts and make granting a charter petition a discretionary act rather than a mandatory act. And then the proposed bill also does a number of other things It extends current petitioning timelines, allows a school district to deny petition based on a negative financial impact, which is really something different um, and potentially impactful and uh, and then it largely eliminates the school's current appeal rights to the county of, and state boards of education and that has been the subject um, of a lot of pushback from charter advocacy groups mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um, this bill and then finally the bill adds some flexibility for renewal petitions permitting charter renewals to be granted for between two and five years at this point at least
1: so for up, up till now renewals, you could do your initial term um, at less than five years, but renewals always had to be at five, right?
2: Yes, that's right. And so this adds some new flexibility around renewals, potentially allowing authorizers to account more for the current performance of a charter school and um, provide some leeway to approve for less time. Okay.
1: Um, Ed, what do you think about this bill? Well, I was going to say that the
0: the things that really stand out um, uh, uh, over and above what Aaron just mentioned was just the 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 concept of considering any type of negative financial, academic, or facilities impact on uh, neighborhood public schools or the school district that that's a factor you can now look at as to and, and base a denial upon uh, for a charter. I mean that's that's everything. That's something that um, folks who have a who who question the existence of charters and our anti-charter school uh, have been fighting for for years. And I, I think districts would like that authority as well, or would like that authority as well. So that's a big step. As well as the discussion or the description that needs to be provided now in a charter petition where the charter petitioner needs to provide a clear explanation of why the proposed model cannot be accomplished within the school district's own structure of neighborhood public schools. Mm-hmm. So the, the the bottom line is it will be left to the petitioner to explain why the school district itself can't provide the same program as the charter school. And if there is not a reasonably comprehensive description of that, or, or for that, uh, of that reason, and then the district is going to have the opportunity to use that lack of description as a basis to deny. Wow. So that's another cudgel wielded by anti-charter advocates. Uh, One other thing I was just going to say is there's always the discussion about how the charter review process isn't long enough, that you only have 60 days. This now gives school districts 90 days to review charter petitions. I don't know that adds a lot, but it adds something.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. That just sounds like, like an earthquake of a bill if it were to pass. Okay. Um. So moving on with these modest proposals, I want to talk about AB 1506. These are all kind of sequentially numbered that we're going to talk about today. Erin, what would that bill do? AB 1506. So this is a, a another
2: continuation of the effort to essentially limit charter schools footprint, so to speak, in the in the state and the number of charter schools that are allowed to operate. And what it does is it effectively sets a cap on the total number of charter schools permitted to operate statewide. And there's technically a cap right now, but it's so high that it it doesn't really have a lot of effect or meaning. Um, and so what this does is it sets the number of charter schools as the number that is operating as of January 1, 2020. Um, And then after that date, essentially new charter schools would be authorized to operate on what I would call a one-in-one-out basis, where within a a, a school district's jurisdiction, they can only authorize a new charter school once one shuts down. Now, that being said, as we understand the proposed legislation, um, there's also a a second route to getting a charter petition approved, um, where it might be approved if uh, you can show that a school district has less than a 10% Mm -hmm. charter population. And so essentially, it's based on the ADA of of the local district. ADA, average daily attendance, yeah. Thank you. Average daily attendance of the local district. And finally, I would note, I, I think that kind of just a a little one liner that was slipped into AB 1506, but it does also provide that there would be no new non-classroom based charter schools uh, that would be permitted to be authorized after January 1, 2020, and that's significant, particularly in certain parts of the state that are more rural and do have a lot more of these, what we call non-classroom based charter schools. They don't have the same seat time requirements. Okay,
0: yeah, Ed, what are your thoughts? Two quick thoughts on top of that. Did we mention the fact that the CMOs, well, what we would call in quotes, mom and pop charter schools get preference in 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 the process over CMOs. So a large charter operator like KIP or Aspire would have to wait and see if, and give priority in sequence to mom and pop charter school operators coming in seeking to get their petitions granted before uh, large CMOs come in.
1: Okay, so CMO is a-, a,
0: tra- a... charter management organization.
1: Right, CMOs are charter management organizations. And um, how is that expressed in the bill that it says, it does essentially say CMOs don't get priority?
0: It does. It says um, that a classroom-based charter that will be operated by an entity managing a charter school... Can't be granted unless within 180 days of the submission of the charter, they the, the school district has not received a charter petition from a charter school that will be operated in any other manner than by an entity managing a charter school. Hmm. Bottom line is, um, they define an entity managing a charter school meaning means a nonprofit public benefit corporation that operates a charter school. Mm-hmm. So, poorly written. Like there's a lot of nonprofit corporations, even moms and pop. Mom and pop charter schools that operate nonprofit or that operate mm-hmm. charter schools. Yeah. So I, they, I would not be surprised if they, if this passes, if there were cleanup language to mm-hmm. try and clarify that when they're talking about an entity managing a charter school, that it would be made plural. It's an entity managing charter schools, uh-huh. Uh-huh. i.e., more than one. Yeah. Okay. That they will take a backseat to mom and pop operators. The other thing is, as with I think a lot of this legislation that's being proposed, that um, there is no waiver allowed by the state board. Mm. So uh, there's like this legislation will be in place, and no district or no district will be able to get a waiver to circumvent these limitations that Erin was describing.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so now. I thought we should contrast AB 1506, um, with the the bill that would limit the number of charter schools, with another bill that's making its way through the legislature. Um, and this one's started over in the Senate. Um, I want to talk about SB 756, which would place more a moratorium on all new charter schools. Um, I think that means that unlike 50, 1506, if a charter school closed during the two-year period of this moratorium, it couldn't be replaced, um, at least during the period. Um, but I'm wondering, Ed, um, you know, how that would interact with 1506. Or Erin, right, do you have thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think, well, I guess first of all, I'm I'm not too sure the two bills can coexist. Mm-hmm. So that would be interesting to mm-hmm. see um, if both are passed. I think, I think that's... One of the overarching issues with this entire package of legislation is the coordination between the bills. Mm -hmm. And um, it'll be interesting to see how that shapes out as these pass through the legislature. But this SB 756 certainly contemplates that there be no charter petitions authorized at all for the next two years. So presumably, at least as written, that would override any sort of caps in 1506 Mm -hmm. because it's just a flat, um, it's a flat denial to approve any sort of petition for the upcoming years. And, And if you look at the language of the legislation of the bill, it really explains that the reason for that is to allow time for the legislature to complete some reporting on certain things and to be able to better assess and analyze where we are as a state with our charter schools and the impact of charter schools on public education before moving forward with, with additional law.
0: So if, if you, to continue on that, that, that's exactly correct, that the point of the legislation allegedly is to allow for uh, a legislative anal- the Legislative analyst Office to conduct a study now, when we've seen these, I'll put in quotes, charter moratoriums, and quotes, that have been passed by local districts asking the state to do to issue a the state to issue a charter moratorium while the state conducts a study on charter school impacts on local school districts, this stat this proposed statute or this proposed bill uh, implements exactly that. It says we're gonna we're gonna put the brakes on any new charter school petitions coming forward and being granted by anybody while we allow the legislative analysts to study the impacts of charters in regard to sharing schools, impacts that school closures have, study the impact of att- or the attrition rates of schools, see if charter schools are admitting students with disabilities, all of those things that are the criticisms of charters, all of those are going to be studied while this moratorium exists.
1: Okay. I'm wondering whether it's possible to say whether one or the other of these two proposals, 1506 versus 756, whether one or the other is more radical. Um, sounds like 756 is intended to kind of create some breathing room, whereas 1506 would, would permanently change if enacted um, the, the landscape around the number of charters. I tend to see this as as long-term versus short-term
2: radical. I think that SB 756 is maybe more radical in the short-term, mm-hmm. uh, whereas, as you mentioned, on a continuing basis, 1506 is going to have the most long-term impacts.
1: Right. Very interesting. Okay. Well, now I want to talk about a bill that we as a firm have some particular interest in, and that's AB 1507 continuing with the sequential numbering. This bill, as I understand it, addresses where charter schools can locate. Um, And I say that we have an interest in this bill because Lozano Smith, um, and in particular, our own colleague, Megan Macy, successfully argued the leading appellate case on this issue. Ed, can you give us a summary of the Anderson case, the case I'm referencing?
0: Sure, so prior to the Anderson decision out of the Court of Appeal, for many years, Charter schools and the charter schools um, would argue or the charter school community would argue that if you had a non-classroom based program, non-classroom based charter school program that had a what was called a resource center, that there was no regulation, no geographic restrictions whatsoever on resource centers for non-classroom based programs. And that if you were chartered in in school district A, that you were you could locate as many resource centers in other districts that were in the same county as school district A, without any limitation. And that the law, purposefully, the charter schools act purposefully did not restrict the number of resource centers you could set up for a for a. Um, non-classroom based program
1: Mm
0: -hmm. and uh, so for years we would get telephone calls from school district superintendents in school district A and say uh, or in school in school district B that would say the non-classroom based program was chartered in school district A why is the resource center for that charter school that was chartered in school district A located in my school district B
1: right
0: and and the answer would be, well, the law is very unclear, um, uh, or the law is unclear, according to advocates for charter schools, and they say they can set up that resource center in the, in in your district, mm-hmm. superintendent of school district B, and Anderson resolved that. What Anderson said, what the court of appeals said, was that the law is very clear, and the law means what it says, which is that. The presumption is, with few exceptions, if you are a charter school that is chartered by School District A and you have a facility, whether that facility is, quote, a resource center or whether it's a classroom-based building or whatnot, then you it is presumed that you are going to locate your facility in School District A and you are going to stay and keep your facilities in the district in which you were chartered. Mm-hmm. And so Anderson clarified that, particularly in regard to the use of resource centers and where they can locate.
1: So is it fair to say that prior to Anderson, the answer we would give to clients was, you know, they're going to claim that it's unclear in the law. We think the, think there's an interpretation of the law that um, it's not a permissible practice to locate outside a resource center outside of the district where you're chartered. But your only recourse here may be to sue. And finally, Anderson decided to take us up on that offer, and did get a get a ruling affirming what that argument.
0: Yes, yes, okay. and that and you know that the, the law was so unclear that at the trial court level, uh, mm-hmm. Anderson lost. Right. We you know it was the 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 trial court judge determined resource centers can locate where they need to locate or wherever they want to locate. Right. It took the court of appeal to overturn that decision.
1: Right. Okay. Okay, so, Erin, can you talk about how AB 1507 picks up where the Anderson case left off? Sure. So, as Ed said, um, the Anderson
2: case made clear, essentially, that the law means what it says, and all charter schools, no matter what sort of a facility they operate, must locate within the boundaries of their authorizing district. Yet, since that decision passed, There, what's happening is there are several exceptions to that rule in the law which charter schools have been using and some might argue abusing in certain instances to essentially receive authorization from one school district and then locate and operate in an entirely different school district's boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so AB 1507 essentially attempts to address that issue by deleting entirely the exception in current law that allows charter schools to locate outside their authorizer's boundaries under certain conditions, including uh, when facilities are allegedly unavailable in district boundaries or during a contemporary construction project, for instance. Um, And then it also eliminates authority that's in the law right now for non-classroom-based charter schools to locate what we call a resource center within the boundaries of an adjacent county. That will no longer be an option um, under the new proposed legislation. And we've had a lot of questions about this from clients as to, to what happens to those charter schools that are currently located under the current exceptions. Um, and And so just one of the recent legislative amendments address that and what it looks like will happen is currently operating charter schools will be essentially grandfathered in Mm -hmm. through the life of their current petition. And then at that point, they'll either have to find another location within the boundaries of their authorizing district, or there's this provision, right, that they can ask for permission from the district where they're actually located and get that permission in writing and then stay put, essentially. Right.
1: Okay, thank you, Erin. I see that AB 1507 has passed the assembly and it's in the Senate. And fifteen oh five, as of the time of this recording, has also now passed the Senate, passed the Assembly, sorry, and is in the Senate awaiting assignment to committee. Fifteen oh six has not yet passed its House, and neither has seven fifty six. Um, I also want to talk briefly about fifteen oh eight. In our prior podcast, we did we talked about this bill which at that point would have permitted chartering authorities to consider the financial and other implications of approving a charter school. But those, provision, 15, those provisions are now in, I think it's 1505? Yes, that's right. Okay, great. And in March 1508 was what we call gutted and amended. Um, and that same bill number is now a bill about pupil nutrition. But I wanted to point out, the reason I'm going through all of this, that 1505, 1506, 1507, and the original 1508 Uh, share some of the same co-authors, and two of those names jumped out at me, McCartle and O'Donnell. Um, Erin, can you tell us anything about these two Assembly members, and why are they leading a charge terrain in charter schools? Do we know?
2: Well, we maybe have a little insight. Uh, So, O'Donnell chairs the Assembly Education Committee. Um, McCarty represents District 7, which, of course, includes um, right here where I am in Sacramento. And... They have been staunch supporters of greater oversights, and limits on charter schools in general. Um, O'Donnell has stated publicly his opinion that charter school oversight throughout the state and generally has, has been too lax and to the detriment of traditional public schools. Um, he's expressed frustration. There are too many loopholes in the law allowing charter schools to skirt oversight and McCarty similarly has expressed concerns really for the finances and financial impacts of charter schools on traditional school districts or, or traditional schools. So I think the, the bills authored by both of these assembly members shares share this common thread that they aim to put key decisions regarding student education in the hands of local governing board members of the community.
1: That's interesting. Thank you. Well, I'd like to have you both back toward the end of the legislative session to see how this all comes out. It's going to be a really interesting year to watch. Um, But in closing, in our last podcast on charter issues, we did talk a lot, as we've already noted, about the conversation around charters right now, so I don't want to go over that again. Listeners, if you haven't already, I encourage you to go back and listen to that conversation. But my question to finish this up is going to be, what does it tell us that these bills have been introduced now and that they're getting traction?
2: Erin, do you want to start? Sure. I mean, I think that circling back to your original question, Devon, I think it really signals that there's been a sea change as it relates to charter schools, or at least mm-hmm. one is one is is on the move. There's a philosophical shift in Sacramento. I think um, with relation to how we're treating charter schools. Um, as a state and how charter schools interact with public schools including their impact their fiscal impacts their impacts on employment teachers unions and so I really think the, the fact that these bills are being taken so seriously and and are getting traction as you say is a real signal of perhaps things to come in the charter school world and and significant changes in law potentially
0: Good. Uh, yeah, my take is that after 26 years of the Charter Schools Act's existence in California, it was passed in 1992, that it's now resettling. There was no great, you know, sort of looking back and, and, and awareness and thinking process, like how is this law working? That's happening now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's the... So I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing. I think it's an interesting thing. I think that it is time... It's, it's, this is the... The the state reconciling the impact that charters have had for the past 26 years on on this state and its public education. The second part of this is elections have consequences. Mm-hmm. You kn- everybody knew what they were going to get when they have a new governor and a new superintendent of public instruction, um, and that this was going to be part of an agenda put forward. And here we have it.
1: Okay. Well, thank you, both of you. Um, we'll have to stay tuned. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Devin. But wait, we have breaking news. Um, in the time since we recorded this conversation, there's been some updates on these bills. And so I want to talk to Aaron a little bit longer about what we know about a couple of these bills as of the time of publication of this podcast. So Aaron, um, I understand there's been some news um, what can you tell us about these, new bill- these two bills?
2: That's right, Devin. Both bills that would have limited or capped the number of charter schools have since stalled out. So SB 756, which of course would have placed the two-year moratorium on approving any new charter petitions statewide, um, faced some stiff opposition and has since been placed in the inactive file. So we're unlikely to see any movement on that bill, this legislative session at least. And AB 1506, which of course would have capped the number of charter schools providing for charter schools to be approved on a one-in, one-out basis, um, has all but died as well when Assemblyman McCarty decided not to put the bill up for a vote last week on the assembly floor. As to both of these bills, SB 756 and AB 1506, They've now been turned into two-year bills, which means they will be
1: considered, if at all, in the next legislative session. Okay. Okay. And do we know anything about why, um, for instance, McCarty, who we talked about earlier, why he, he did not take that bill up for a vote? Well, really the trend we're seeing
2: is that the legislature seems less willing to consider those bills that would place limits on charter expansion within the state, at least right now. But on the other hand, seems more willing to consider those bills that would bring control back locally into the hands of school districts and authorizers. And we see that directly in 1505 and in 1507. Okay. um, But both with the proposed new petitioning standards and also with the proposed new geographic location requirements. So that's the trend we're seeing, and at least right now that seems to be the reason um, combined with some opposition, why these bills were, were pulled from the floor. Okay.
1: So just to summarize, um, the bills discussed in the park podcast um, that, that we've just listened to, um, 1505, which would radically change the landscape for approval of charter petitions, that remains alive as of the time of this podcast. And also 1507, which has to do with where charter schools can locate. Is that right? That's right. Okay, great. Well, that's the latest news as of June 6, 2019. So um, thanks very much, Erin. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to Lozano Smith's podcast today. We encourage you to visit our podcast page at lozanosmith.com backslash podcast to find links and additional details on some of the topics we discussed today. Also, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Thanks, everybody.
0: have any questions about this topic, please contact the host of this episode or an attorney at any of our eight offices throughout California. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the information contained in this podcast is necessarily general, its application to a particular set of facts and circumstances may vary. For this reason, this podcast does not constitute legal advice we
1: recommend that you consult with your counsel prior to acting on the information you heard.